It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. It's time for me, Steve Bazalone, your host, with a brand new episode of Terribly Funny. This, of course, is the podcast where I talk to funny people about terrible things that have happened to them. You get the concept by now. Um, what can I tell you about today's guest? We have a wonderful guest. He's one of my nearest and dearest friends. His name is AJ Tesler. Uh, AJ has produced a ton of shit. I think a lot of things that I've worked on, a lot of things that my friends have worked on, he produced a, a series with my friend Dan Levy called Baby Talk. He also produced a show called Stevie TV. He produced a YouTube movie uh, called Bad Night. And he produced, I want to say, like a billion episodes of uh, the uh, the little game show or talk show. I guess it's a game show called Excused. Um, okay, so there you go. That's that's the IMDb page. But let's get to the, the heart of the matter here. Um... AJ is going to talk to us about uh, his family, his and specifically his daughter. Uh, he is a six-year-old uh, little little lady named Magnolia, named Maggie, and she's a little ray of sunshine. She's wonderful. And about three and a half years ago, she was uh, diagnosed with a disease called Rett syndrome. It's probably not a disease you've never heard of, but the shorthand is is that this disease is a a genuine kick in the dick. Um, it's not great. And uh, AJ is going to talk to us about how, fuck, how, how they are getting through that, how what they're doing, how they are continuing to be proactive and battle this thing. Um, you know, so often is the case when I, when I do this, when I do this episode, when I'm interviewing people, I'm talking to people who are reflecting. Uh, they're talking about uh, terrible things that have happened to them in their past. Um, and clearly, you know, when you're mourning and when you have, have gone through something, it, it evolves and it changes and it shifts and it affects you. Uh, even if it's not happening to you currently, it still is omnipresent. It can be omnipresent in your life. But it's usually people reflecting on things that have happened to them. Um, and this is different because this is AJ talking about something that is happening to him every minute and every day. Um, and he is just such a, a, a beacon for strength and optimism and uh, insight and courage and love. And uh, I'm already getting like a little bit teary right now just doing this intro, so that's a good sign, right? Um, anyways, I, give this a listen and really pay attention here because I think this is, this, this, is a, this is an important one, I think. Um, and, and please stick around afterwards because I'll tell you uh, where you can go and try to donate uh, money to this to research for getting getting rid of this fucking disease. Let's get rid of this shit. Um, and that's it. Uh, please, please. I, I I hope you like this. I hope you find it as uh, inspiring and humbling uh, as I did. Um, that's all. Give it a listen, gang. Here we go. Brand new episode of Terribly Funny. Oh, he doesn't want crumbs. He wants a full fucking sausage. Yeah, he wants a whole sausage. Um. Anyways, well, thanks for coming out, buddy. Yeah, thanks. I uh, appreciate it. This is uh, not that this will be listened to in this way, but it's interesting that uh, just you know two hours ago, uh, recorded another one of these with Ginger Gonzaga, and you were mentioned many times. Wow, fascinating. I've been uh, mentioned a couple of times on this podcast. So is that true? I've I, tried to make sure that doesn't happen. I, the, the, if 
the ginger would like actively. I try to edit them out. You try, anytime somebody mentions my name, you're like, yeah, yeah, canceled. Yeah. Why is this happening? I don't want you. Don't need. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to do free publicity for your brand at all. I appreciate it. I am proud to say I do not have a personal brand. <laughs> so sure you do. It's Gap, 1998. <laughs> um, so Old Navy, but I no, it is Old Navy. Taken, my point my, taken, my point taken. It's Old Navy 2000. Yes. It was a, the Y2K year for Old Navy. Which I guess technically is the same thing as Gap 98. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Old Navy. Old Navy really is like the younger little brother to, to Gap. That it's just like, here, take this shit we don't want anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you get the deals. Yeah. That's uh, my insightful uh, commentary on, on fashion. On my fashion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um... Yeah, I guess there's no, no, nothing seamless here, but let's get into some real shit, bro. Oh, yeah, already. I actually am like, uh, when you ask me to do this, I just feel like Cuba Gooding Jr. going into the Jerry Maguire, that scene in Jerry Maguire where he's like, just don't cry. Just I, don't I really cry. thought this was going to be like a Snow Dogs reference. Just don't cry. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that scene in Snow Dogs where he does the thing with the dogs in the snow? <laughs> Yes, same yeah. same thing. Yeah. So that's kind of where I feel. It's just like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Hey, well, yeah. It's, uh, what, the 20, 20th anniversary? Yeah, 20th anniversary of Jerry Maguire. So a timely reference. Mm-hmm. Rod Tidwell. Yep. Bringing it back. Bringing it back. Hey, man, let's get let's get some tears. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, so talking about some sad stuff. I mean, uh, the, the, it doesn't the, have to be sad. You know, it's well, just like a thing that's like arduous and like the... Uh, the, the uh, the levity and the insight that comes out of that. Well, I mean, I think I obviously am living with a pretty sad, a pretty sad thing. I think, um, yeah. My wife. Uh-huh. No. Um, Are you doing like Yakov? You're doing like... A Henny Youngman. Henny it's Youngman, a, yeah. 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 I've got his entire act just programmed into my brain. Just without any musical. No musicals. Yeah, no um, clarinets. So my daughter has uh, Rett syndrome. It's this rare neurological disorder that affects only girls. Uh, affects one in 10,000 live female births every year. Jesus. Um, and it's one of those things that you don't test for, you don't think about, uh, you never think that your daughter or your kid isn't going to come out like a, the, however you thought they were going to come out. You right. never assume there's going to be something wrong. And, uh, and this particular thing is... There's no known treatment. There's no known cure. There is... uh, And over her life, it is progressive. So she was born. First 18 months of her life was more or less... Normal kid. Totally normal kid. Um, And then she starts losing her ability to speak. And starts... uh, Her brain doesn't let her hands do what they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Or her arms. And... Um, it's progressive, so you end up with uh, every day it's a new thing, and it never gets better. Uh, and, and she's four now, right? She is six. She's six? She's six. What the fuck? It goes by fast. And like when I first started talking to people about it, and I have obviously, like I'm very public about this, uh, and here's a selfless plug of Magnolia's Hope, mm-hmm. uh, which is gonna our advocacy efforts for Rett syndrome. Um, it's magnoliashope.com or on Facebook or YouTube at Magnolia's Hope. And um, when I started doing it, and she was three when she first got diagnosed, and I started blogging about it, and then soon after making videos. But uh, it was. 
I was very conscious and cognizant of the fact that when she gets older and she's not a cute kid anymore, it's not such a... You can't depend on people being that engaged in it anymore. Right. Um, and uh, this particular disorder is... It is so urgent to find a cure because it will continue to get worse. She will suffer from seizures. Her balance will continue to get worse. She will likely end up in a wheelchair. Uh, She uh, may need a feeding tube. Um, She could at any time die in her sleep. And we don't know when or if that will happen. So we're in a constant state of what is happening right and uh the disease they've been able to prove is completely reversible but they can't translate that to humans just yet and they've proved in what facet like in in mice and things uh yeah so there's in an animal model which in a mouse they were able to deliver a gene therapy that completely reversed any symptoms that they had immediately before the treatment. Um, Like mouse not moving at all, gets the treatment, running around, totally typical mouse. Um, And so there's a a lot of hope that there is a cure on the horizon. One of the organizations that we support, which is uh, the Rett Syndrome Research Trust, is uh, getting really close to actually translating that to humans. That's Uh, fucking incredible, right? It's pretty fucking incredible. But mm-hmm. the time is, it's urgent. It's, sure. It needs to happen today. Yeah. The only thing that, that keeps us from getting this cure is, uh, is funding. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's infuriating to be trying to, to build advocacy and, and to get people interested in this little girl story. Because I know that it's also as soon as she ages out of being a little girl that becomes a much more complicated thing. People feel it, there's no longer activism. It's pity. And pity doesn't translate quite as well. And so, you know, we're nervous about that. But in the meanwhile, it's just like, what do we do every day in order to try to keep our daughter in good enough shape so that when that cure exists, she'll be okay. Right. Because um, every day that we let the disease progress that's a day that is harder to get back is a day that she has to fight to get back um and i am uh and so while dealing with that and dealing with like your your kid being sick with a incurable with a currently incurable disorder is an impossible situation to be in um I don't think that there's anything like that, and not that I not that I've experienced a ton sure. of tragedy, but like this tragedy feels like a pretty big one. Well, I think <clears throat> you said it early on. It's just that it's it's ongoing, mm-hmm. and there's not a reprieve. And you're just the only thing you're just hopeful that you can you're working towards that reprieve. Yeah, I mean, I think that no matter what, like with with this, there we we know that there's something that can help and it's out there with a lot of things you don't know. But I think that for us, the thing that has kept us from totally falling into a pit of despair, which certainly at times we have, um, is, is staying 
active forcing optimism on ourselves is forcing ourselves to believe that this is a fixable problem mm-hmm. and that if anybody's going to fix it, it's going to be us. Um, and that's not because we have skills that would differentiate us from any other family dealing with it. It's just because we have, we have to do something. Right. Um, complacency is not an option. Complacency is not an option. You can't sit and just watch your daughter disappear and disintegrate. Um, you have to force, I mean, we certainly had to force, uh, therapies and, and extraordinary hard work and force her to do things even though she was crying like through the entire mm-hmm. thing and screaming at us it's just like my parents would watch me work with her as she's just like bawling and I'm forcing her to crawl across uh, our yard right. I mean a five year old should know how to crawl but unless I'm forcing her to do it she won't because she doesn't use her hands uh, and watching her cry and that my dad was like how do you do that mm-hmm. how do you force her to do that and my reaction at the time was actually like, oh, I didn't even really notice that she was crying. Because I, my brain just kind of shuts down on emotion because the, the end goal is so, is so important. Right. Um, and it's, it's hard because you don't, you, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like... Every this past 2016 was rough for everybody, um, but you know it was rough for us in particular because in January she was running and sprinting and skipping, and uh, in June she was no longer able to do that. She just hyperventilates so severely now that she her lips turn blue and she just falls forward um and it's we know that if we don't keep working even though it seems like it's not having any effect because we're still losing skills but if we don't keep working on stuff then we don't know how far down she'll go yeah um and that's just a that's just a constant fight every single day on top of all of the work and career and working on your relationship and uh, and trying to discover new things that might help and you just also just fighting against this thing to keep your daughter standing up every day yeah that's not great no, it's uh, it's awful. Uh, well, <clears throat> just to, to rewind a little bit, and I actually, I just <clears throat> made this leap on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I've kind of talked to anybody about, about Maggie, I've kind of said that it's uh, akin to like Parkinson's only in little girls. So the way that they describe Rett syndrome is it's ALS, it's epilepsy, <clears throat> it's cerebral palsy all wrapped into one little girl all the symptoms of all of those things in one little girl um, and every one of those things is an impossible thing to deal with um, but 
Uh, and Maggie is, and girls with Rett syndrome, all the research would show that they're cognitively intact. She understands everything. But she's in this body that just doesn't right. work. She can't talk. She can't use her hands. She's like breaking the skin on her hands from rubbing them so raw. Uh, she, she, uh, uh, she, her, she's sleepless and will, but can't walk. So she'll get up in the middle of the night and then fall. And so all of these things that you never even think about how do I deal with, you have to figure out in minutes in order to save her from breaking a leg or from smacking her face against her dresser. And, and, and all of these symptoms, all, the, the shakiness of Parkinson's, the, the seizures, the, um, the just complete dystonia and, 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 and motor problems of ALS and the, the disintegration that you watch in ALS. I mean, all of those things. It's like she's a six-year-old girl. But, you know, most six-year-old girls they cry when when Frozen gets turned off, and and this girl gets up every morning and goes, "Today, it won't happen. I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna run," and she she will try to run until all of a sudden she realizes that she can't. Um, and or she'll start hyperventilating and she won't be able to breathe and she'll look at you and you just go I literally can't help you yeah. like you're the only person that can help yourself right now how do you deal with that how do you deal with that feeling of helplessness you spoke a little bit about like you know you can't be complacent uh, and you have to create opportunities and you have to be the most proactive you've ever been but how do you deal with that sense of helplessness um you know I think my my mom when I when we first were diagnosed she said to me and I say we were first diagnosed because that's the way it feels it feels like the entire family is diagnosed yeah, with this, I think that's fair this thing um is that miracles happen every day and you just have to be one of them mm-hmm. when claim to be a religious family and I wouldn't claim to to believe in miracles um, but you know that I know that to that complacency point that doing nothing will never net the results that I'm looking for mm-hmm. and so while I feel helpless in being able to actually help her and that hurts every single time. Uh, I know that all of the other work that we're doing is really doing good in advocating for her, in, in explaining to, to people what Rett syndrome is, in uh, connecting with other families who find our videos or our blogs online and go, thank you so much for this. Like, now I know like what this is and I were just diagnosed. Um, but I also invent things. I invent things that... It, that might help but try things and we're constantly trying new things going that kind of worked mm-hmm. let's try that again like the hyperventilating thing right now the my solution is I, I point to her chest and I say Maggie you have to focus on this one little thing right in the middle of your chest and you focus on that don't worry about breathing don't worry about standing 
just want you to focus on this one little thing and it's like my fake meditation techniques that um, it's at least me trying to do something that that can help her and even though her hyperventilation episode is going to last 30 seconds whether I'm doing that or not I'm at least trying to find something mm-hmm. and if that doesn't work then I'll try something else you know maybe I'll compress her chest a little bit or whatever you just kind of constantly trying to do something to help and then there are times when yeah you feel absolutely helpless and um, you know you just kind of ignore it and regret ignoring it afterwards and because you know I'm a six-year-old girl going through a hyperventilation attack where she's going to pass out and her dad is sitting there ignoring it because it's happened 30 times that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, some, I will ignore one and then feel bad, <laughs> feel terrible about it. Um, but I also will uh, not ignore the rest of them in, in hopes of kind of shedding that feeling of helplessness that uh that is a big part of big part of this entire thing is helplessness and 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 trying to avoid that because you just don't ever want to feel that way when you're dealing with your your own sick child you always want to feel like the hero and and i think that especially as a dad for a little girl like my entire frame of reference for what a dad to a little girl is supposed to be is dad's supposed to be the hero for a little girl. Right. So, um, and I've always been a guy who can fix anything. I'm not like with my hands, but uh, no. pro- in terms of like problem solving, like that's yeah. always been what I've done is you have a problem, I can help you fix it. Right. And this is the first one that like uh, has really been... Uh, challenge. Well, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, incredibly frustrating point, but uh, something that I was thinking of while you're talking there, and then also as a follow-up to how that makes you feel. Uh, as you were talking about this, I was thinking like, this is the worst compliment and a shit compliment. But like, out of all the people that I know, for something like this to happen to you're kind of the guy for that (laughs) because like when I first met you we kind of became bonded and we became like very close because you at at a party one night were like I'm thinking about starting a television festival Mm -hmm. and me drunkenly being like hey if you need help I'll help you out Mm -hmm. and then like two weeks later you emailing me and be like you want to be the director of programming and I was like whoa I'm like met with flyers but then six months later somehow you built a thing I did a little bit, but you did 98% of it. A thing where 15,000 people came out and like sold shit to networks and you did that in like six months. And you've always been that kind of guy who like is a problem or like I, there's something that I think I see an opportunity. I'm going to figure out how to do that as opposed to like, and you do that yourself as opposed to like looking for other people to help. Yeah. So like, I guess my, my, and my follow up to that is like, does that make you angry? (laughs) Um, like saying that and I feel like that is like you were the person does it make you angry that you feel like that I feel like you have the tools more than anybody else equipped to handle such a shit situation Um, I don't think that you're the only one you're not the only one who's told me that in Mm -hmm. fact 
<clears throat> I've heard that from a bunch of people. And but does that, how does that make you feel? Uh, it actually gives me the confidence to, to keep pushing yeah. at it because uh, there are a lot of people who would be totally lost in this situation and I, 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 I see that. And, um, and for me, like, it, I, I do, when we first were diagnosed, my initial reaction was to your point of like, I'm not a guy who goes out and finds help and gets like other people to help a lot. Like I yeah. just I'm like, you know what? I can, I'll, I can I'll do this it. Shit out. I can do it. And so like my initial reaction was I, I have to go back to school and I have to become a geneticist. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I would be like, uh, let me find good doctors. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to become one. Right. And I mean, I, I realized a few months in, like, that's absurd, mm-hmm. right? But the only reason it's absurd is because it would take too long. Right. Not because I don't think that it's... I still think that, like, if that was what I decided to do... You'd do it. We would do it, and we would, we would be closer today than we were, than right. we were then. But... That said, we're still closer today than we were then because of all the things that I was decided to do just based on what I already was able to do. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, my wife, even my wife, you know, I, when we were first found out about it, you know, I remember her crying and 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 making me promise her that I would fix this, um, which is an impossible ask, an impossible situation to be in. But for me, uh, it it certainly gives me purpose. It certainly gives me a target, and I would I am much more emboldened by the fact that my friends and the people close to me believe that I can fix this mm-hmm. than I would be if they were like, "Oh man, you got to go find somebody to do something about right. this." Um, because, I mean, that, that is, that, that, that's more of a loss than, uh, than me spent having to spend 85% of my time thinking about it and, and doing and trying to do something about it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it does not bother me in the least, um, that people think I'm the guy. No, I mean, it's a great thing, but it's also, I remember, and not to um, make any of my past experience uh, experience be anything like yours, but there was times in which when I was sick or something and, like, people would say offhand, like, it would be the same, in the same way, like, like, the same capacity, like a compliment, like, you know, I, you're so, the the moral fortitude, like, the, the strength that you're showing is, like, you're you're the person to go through this, and right. I would, and there was like it was it would feel nice, and it was like a point of pride, right? Or be like, yeah, fuck yeah, I am. But on the other side, I'd be like, I don't want to be the fucking person. Yeah, why I, can't I? I do though. Yeah, I do want to be the person. Like that's fucking incredible. Um, I don't want to deal with red syndrome. I I wish I never heard of it. I wish my daughter didn't have it. Obviously, but. I, I mean, I I was doing a fundraiser monthly last year and uh, every every time I would go up and, and, and speak to everybody I would say you all are here and you're a part of the solution you're a part of this cure and to me like that is 
that's the that if that's the story of my life that in five years people go well AJ what have you been doing for the last five years and I go oh not much but I did cure my daughter of an incurable disease then there will be nothing that could give me more pride than being the a part of that solution yeah um and uh, so that's why like I, everything that I do has some consideration for how does this how do I make this work in uh, in order to help Maggie how do I what do, how does whatever job that I take or whatever person that I meet how is this going to somewhere down the line lead me to a place where that person can help Maggie or or amplify their the, my voice or or whatever it is because um, the it and so I think that some people fall into depression for all of this, for, for this. And I think that the day after we were diagnosed, I was on the phone, um, just trying to find out what is this, what are we doing? Who, who do I need to talk to? Like we got into the, one of the top clinics in the country had a six month wait list. We got in in three weeks. I mean, it was just like, mm. talk to families, do whatever you can. Because when you're dealing with tragedy, at least when I'm dealing with tragedy, the only way that you're not going to fall into depression, the only way that I'm not going to fall into depression is by making sure that I'm doing everything that I can in order to change it. And I think that the times that I do get sad about all of this is when I feel like I'm not doing enough. Right. In spite of... I mean, I think from the outside looking in, it appears like I'm doing a lot. Mm -hmm. But because she isn't cured yet, I feel like I'm not doing enough. Well, that's, that's, I think that, how do you, um, is it hard for you to be kind to yourself because of that? Because like I will have like, on the lowest stakes of like a, a day off, a Saturday, where like I have some work I want to get done, and then I don't, mm-hmm. and I beat myself up over it. But that's like bullshit. It's right. the most bullshit, low stakes anything. But like, but like the, you know, there's also a point where like I recognize like okay, sometimes you need a break and you have to be kind to yourself. How do you do that for yourself? Like when you have this enormous uh, thing looming over you, do you find it hard to be nice to yourself? Um. I think I just find little personal wins in whatever it is that I'm doing. So like, you know, if there's something that I, that I skipped out on or that I, and I, I also am pretty good at, um, making a, making a quick apology and moving on. Right. Um, because I have to, like, there's no, like, I can't wallow. I don't have the time to wallow and I don't have the energy to wallow. Like I need every every bit of energy in order to, to fight this and to still pursue a, a career, you know, it's, yeah. uh, and to make sure that my marriage is sound. Like, uh, it's amazing how much, like just lighting a candle at dinner, how much that means to a relationship. Yeah. Uh, just means like, I'm thinking about you and this is something, uh, let's take a minute. Um, so, yeah. So, like, I don't know really what being kind to myself means because I think I'm just a somewhat goal-oriented and until I reach my, like, 
until I reach the pinnacle, until I reach those goals, I'm going to keep beating myself up because it everybody spurs around, you forward. It spurs me forward. Everybody that I know thinks that I'm the guy. And so I expect my, that of myself and I expect to to be to be able to solve these problems. Yeah. Um you know, and it, it works to, for me on a microcosm level too. Like in the same way, like you know, work, which is the the least important thing to me, um, since I'm dealing with this kind of massive, massive situation. Um, but if I, if a friend of mine, if I'm trying to help them get something made or whatever it is, and they and I can't, that I mean that hurts. Like that actually hurts yeah. me. I. If I told you, hey, I'm gonna, I want to help and I want to make this and I want to do something, and I can't get it done, I, I, I still feel bad about people that I met eight years ago and told that to and couldn't, would just couldn't do anything. But has it has it shifted your because you were talking about, you know, moments like that is occupies eighty five percent of your time. Yeah. Has it shifted? clearly um, where your priorities go but like you know the things that we used to be somewhat demoralizing or like a tough blow previously uh, now yeah. you're just like oh fuck I don't even give a shit well that's that's absolutely right I mean in fact like most of the episodes of this podcast I <laughs> yeah. really really well it's also I'm, I'm interested I'm I think just as we're talking about this is like all these podcasts, all the things that I've talked about it's most people like reflecting back on something that's happened yeah. to them yeah and because usually people, when you're in something, you're not ready to talk about it mm-hmm. in the moment. But when you don't have the luxury as you do, it's like, well, this is this is the foreseeable future. Right. And I hope it's not the, that long foreseeable future and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure it's not. But it's like an ongoing. This is just my present. Yeah. Um, so I think that's like coming from a totally different perspective. But like, I, yeah, to your point, like looking at all these things and like, that's that's your that's your hardship. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and I think that it... it Look, I would never have considered myself a compassionate person before any of this happened. I consider myself a very compassionate person now. Yeah. Um, I don't. Um, I don't bemoan anybody for their tragedies, um, but I understand when people are going through hard times in a much more visceral way than I ever would have before. Right. Um, my heart goes out to people, and I want to help support people and 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 help people like. Mar- help marginalize people and help people who are struggling in any way that I can. Um, and I think that this entire situation has, has taught that about, taught me that about myself, that like, um, how important it is to get that outpouring of, of, of support. And, um, like when I put out a video and nobody really watches it, like that I beat myself up over. Right. When I put out a video that, tens of thousands of people watch that feels so great because I am I'm connecting with so many people but so for all of those reasons when somebody posts something uh, or on social media or whatever and they're they're looking for an outpouring of support I understand that like a comment means a lot even if it's just thinking about you yeah like a like great thanks but like if you're commenting or if you're sharing like that's that really does mean something to people um because i know it means something to me and 
because it just means that you 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 care enough to let your friends know that somebody you care about needs your help. Um, and so uh, it has certainly made me more compassionate, but I don't care when people uh, talk about their dogs being sick. Right. Um, I have a broader understanding of what a real problem is versus, okay, like it's going to be okay. Call me in a week. Yeah. And don't No, I understand that. I mean, I, I think on, on a similar um, vein, have you had... Uh, have you had difficult dealing with anger in any capacity? Because I remember... Just when I was at my sickest, I would take this little guy, my dachshund out, Duncan, mm-hmm. and just right out front, and he would take a beautiful shit. Mm-hmm. Just like a perfectly formed Sure. Shit. Like little rings, like perfect. Oh, little... just, per- just, just a perfect, you know. Yeah. And I would just, and I would momentarily feel such anger at him. Uh-huh. <laughs> just because it was just envy, it was jealousy. It was like, fuck, I just, that's, it's the crazy, that's what I want. That's all I want. And my dog is like taking that for granted. He's shitting. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. But like I just felt like anger. Just Yeah, I felt angry at you. Just for a second just because like that's all I want. Yeah. Do you have a hard time dealing with that? Like in looking at, at other people. Look, everybody has – life is hard in general. It's hard to be a person. That's something that somebody said on this podcast a while ago and I think it's incredibly true. Mm-hmm. No matter what the circumstances are. But do you look at other people dealing with their own things, but like just ultimately be like, fuck, you're taking so much for granted. And I, that makes me mad. Oh no. I actually, I find joy in that. Yeah. I find joy in like people going, I can't believe this kid won't listen to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, and that makes you laugh. Yeah. You're like, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that sure man. does suck, man. That kid. Um, I, it does. It makes me, it makes me laugh because, uh, and I think it's, it's just how I deal with exactly that. That like, you are taking so much for granted that you don't even know what, what you have. Yeah. And, uh, that is, that's a spectacular place to be. I, I do, I enjoy, uh, in a totally non-creepy way, watching, six-year-old girls who are mm-hmm. typical and watching them play and, and do things that my daughter can't do. Like, I find great pleasure in the fact that there it's not everybody who has these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, if I find atypical six-year-old girls, uh, not when I say if I find that, if, I, if I'm uh-huh. like in yes, a park. I understand. Like, I, oh, it's coming off all, all No, weird. no, no. We're, you're, you're safe in this. This is a safe this. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, Anybody else talking about finding six-year-old girls, it's not great. For you, this is fine. <laughs> so I, uh, even girls who have, who have difficulties that, you know, I, I, I see the, it's much easier for me to see the beauty in what they can do now than it would have been before all this, and you know, I think that I think about myself before I had to deal with any any kind of disability, and like what my reaction was to kids with disabilities. First of all, I don't know that I ever really saw any of it because I wasn't looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I did, it would almost always be pity, and that is, and so I understand that when people see my daughter. They feel pity. 
And I think that that hurts. But I also think that um, that's not the appropriate reaction. I get it. We don't pity her. We're amazed by her. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel bad for her, but that's different than pity. Right. Um, I wish she wasn't in pain. I wish she didn't have all of these struggles. I wish she could do things that other kids can do. But uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think pity is an appropriate reaction, because a, she's still a six-year-old girl, and she can sense that, mm-hmm. and she understands that. And the the people who understand that she's just a six-year-old girl, those are the people. That's the appropriate reaction. Oh, hey, you're just a you're just a six-year-old. Your hands are doing this crazy thing, or you're hyperventilating. That's cool. Sometimes I hyperventilate. It's fine. Yeah. Like that is a um, that reaction is incredible, but it takes a very special very compassionate person to even understand that that's something that's how you're supposed to react yeah um and you know I think that that's that's a that's a lesson that you can't learn until you've until you've dealt with some kind of disability and and have watched other people stare or be uncomfortable you know I still get I get uncomfortable when people when like kids don't go up and say hello to her like you would say hello to any other kid why why aren't that doesn't make any sense to me. Discomfort, right? It's discomfort, and and she's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and she can't talk, and she can't play with them. But there are kids that we've met that go the extra mile. They grab her by the hand, and, and Maggie, let's go, let's go play dress up, or whatever it is. Let's go in this room. Um, and that is a spectacular sense of like just allowing her those typical experiences that until there's a cure she won't be able to have. Like that's just the normal the, things. Just the, the things normal that thing. she wouldn't be experiencing otherwise. Yeah. Do you um that's another two pronged question, but how how tired are you? <laughs> um I, uh, there's a lot of ways to answer that. I mean, at face value, I'm very tired. Mm -hmm. Uh, she, one of the things with Rett syndrome is that occasionally she'll wake up and not go back to sleep. So two nights ago, she was up at 12, didn't go back to sleep because she can't walk. I had to be up with her. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that has happened infrequently, but as a result, I'm obviously tired from a sleeplessness standpoint. That said, I would be up until one and awake at six, regardless of Rett syndrome. So most of the time, like my general sense of tiredness is, I think, different from most people who sleep six, eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm exhausted from fighting. Because I have to fight everybody. 
Um, I have to fight the school district. I have to fight the doctors. I have to fight uh, insurance. You know, I, I'm just constantly fighting. So the things that really make me exhausted is like when the refrigerator is leaking. Right. And we had neighbors a few years ago who their daughter also had severe mental issues and their house was falling apart. And as a neighbor on a street, when you own a house, you come on, mm-hmm. put together your house. And now I get it. It's like, I just... I don't have the I space can't for can't deal... Like, that is one too many things. Um, and... Because, like, nobody understands that my daughter understands everything. Right. And until you scream that at them, they won't believe you um nobody understands that like it's not normal for a girl to just stop walking doctors please tell me what could this possibly be other than Rett syndrome because that's not that doesn't have to be the answer but as soon as you put the label on it that's the answer for anything that goes wrong and so we just sit there and go well I guess this is just the way it's going to be. But we just have to keep fighting everybody so that they understand and they understand we're not going to take no for an answer and they understand that they have to do something because she deserves it. Um, Part of the reason I asked that question is because just from a pragmatic standpoint of all the things you're doing and, you know, logistically just not sleeping and the emotional exhaustion that comes with it. But also, um, two weeks ago, a friend of mine, we were just talking about like, what was your favorite Christmas? Mm-hmm. You know, cause it was the right before Christmas. And, um, the two or three that initially came to mind were like all ones that, uh, two of them were the ones that I was in the hospital and they were not, they were not like great Christmases by any means, but because there was so much, turmoil because there was so much um in like a tremendous amount of pain or anything it's just like you are uh uh, somehow feeling more alive in those moments like the colors are brighter because you're uh more close to um you're just you're the furthest away from complacency and 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 you know beige as you could be yeah. And as much as those things were like beautiful and one, I'm, I'm just wondering like when you're feeling that way, when you're that, when you're, your emotions are that engaged all the time, is that well, also just I'm, exhausting? Honestly, I think that for me, like, it's not an emotional thing anymore. It's not like I don't have emotional exhaustion because uh, I, I'm not getting emotional about it every day. It's all pragmatic. It's all what else do I have to do? What else can I do? How else can I do it? And that's just how I deal with this sad situation. It's like, I'm not going to be sad about it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do her any good. Um, And I think that when you're dealing with like an illness and you're sad about your own self, you can afford to be sad because people can be around to help help cheer you up. Right. But I can't afford to be sad because then who's going to be there to cheer, to cheer her up? So I can't afford any kind of emotional 
um, heightened emotions. Like I, I, and everything that I that I do has to be in order to get closer to that end goal. Um, so I don't I don't think I get a sense of like I need to. Uh, feel more alive. Like I, I feel alive when I have accomplished. Like when we put out that video that Mark Zuckerberg responded to. I mean, that was something that, like, I, yes, I feel like I'm really doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that I think is just those highs fuel any other exhaustion. It's like, okay, I did that one wrong. What's the next one? How do I do this in order to make sure that we get the same ex- exposure experience, whatever, so that we can actually do something for her? Uh, you know, there was a... Uh, you, you said just a bit ago that... Um, well, two things. One, that people don't understand that... They don't get that your daughter understands everything. Right. And two, that, like, you know, you're perception previously and continuously of like what a dad should be to a little girl as her hero. Um, there was a moment like two years ago where we were at our friend Dan Levy's house for like a barbecue or something. And I came out back and you were holding Maggie and I did my normal, went to the normal well of jokes that I do with you and like made some sort of joke about some shirt you're wearing. Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, I don't think she likes me much because she like immediately was like why the fuck are you making fun of my dad <laughs> and like you laughed but like for the rest of the day like whenever I'd see her and say something she's like mm-mm uh-uh. like A like I know exactly what you said and B that's my fucking hero don't fuck with that guy <laughs> um yeah I mean I uh she's she's she really does like it's it's even hard for me to understand how how she gets everything um because she, if you ask her a question, she doesn't necessarily answer. Like she mm. obviously can't talk. Like it's so it's hard to it's hard to gauge what she's picking up. And at times, she go, I don't know if she's really getting this. Um, but there are other times where like it's so clear that she's so funny and she's uh, and she's smart and she's mischievous and uh, she's snarky and mm. she's all the things that that I am and that that my wife Jenny is. And, um, all the things that I would have hoped my daughter would be, um, which is another reason why I am so um, aggressively focused on trying to free her from Rett syndrome, right. is because if she's anything like me, well, she's got problems to solve on yeah. her own. Yeah, yeah, uh, but she also has solutions to offer. Yeah. Um, I was struck when you were telling the story about her hyperventilating and you just having her focus on one thing, one point on her chest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredibly, A, um, useful, but it's also just beautiful. It's a beautiful notion to just focus on one thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like Jack Plants told us in City Slickers. Just that one thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, has that, has that been something that you always um, ascribe to? Is there, would, would you... How was, like, in terms of just philosophy, mantras of living, how has that changed in the last six years? Or the last, I guess, three and a half years since the diagnosis? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think that work has gotten way less important. Career has gotten way less important. It, it, it has become a uh, point to, you know, it's for survival. It's not for uh, pride or whatever. Right. Um, and the things that I want to do with Maggie, like, I want to show her all of the incredible things the world has to like I wanted it to walk the the Great Wall of China mm. before she can't walk anymore I want to climb to the top of Eiffel Tower before she can't climb stairs anymore um, even though there's an elevator you know I I think that experiencing what this world is and and getting it and being able to impart that on your children like that has become a much deeper focus of mine like that is the goal of how do i work hard enough so that we can just enjoy yeah um and that may have been my philosophy all along like i was always the guy who was like what do i have to do to just retire mm-hmm. um but retirement then was so that you could just relax and do nothing. And I think now it's so you can, there's a quote that people share about Rhett syndrome a lot, which is, I thought I was going to have to teach my daughter about the world. And instead, um, she is teaching me, um, and you know, I think that that's that's pretty apt. Where I also wanted to show my entire my my daughter the world, and instead I'm having to show the world my daughter, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Um, so I mean, I don't know that like that one thing focus isn't really part of my philosophy or or, or where it came from. Like I, it's I'm a little scattered when it comes to most things, and I just I want. I want it all and I want it all for her and I think yeah. that that's how it's changed is that it used to be I, I want it all but I want it all for pride and status and respect and now I want it all for her so that um, she can have those experiences yeah do you um, just because it is the kind of the mission statement of the show, where has been like the, uh, throughout this ongoing fight? Yeah. Where has been like the, the moments of levity? Where has been the things that have been like, that have been like real breaks in the clouds and the sunshine, the things that have like made you laugh along the way? Um, I actually, I've thought about this a lot, trying to figure out like what is funny about, about this and, you know, I think that for us, for Jenny and me, like, there's no other solution than than laughter. Like mm-hmm. that's the only thing that we have to hold on to. Like it can't be sad all the time. Um, and so we try to find the the comedy and in, in, in everything that we do as is. But like Maggie's still f- funny in mm-hmm. and of herself. Like. She can, uh, 
their only method of communication is an eye gaze computer where it tracks her eyes to see what she's looking at and then that'll activate her, a voice. And so she, the other day, said, I love you. And we were both like, oh my God, Maggie, that's the sweetest thing. And then she said, just joking, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that just like any family, like there's moments that you go, this is still okay. Like you're, it's fine. Um, this is fun. And as hard as everything that we do is... You know, traveling or or going surfing or like everything is an additional ten layers of difficulty for us. But we still do them so that Maggie can have that experience, so that we can build those memories, and so that we can find levity in all of it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. What um? It's a big question, but. I think applicable to many things anybody who's going through a fight as you as you phrased it like what advice what advice do you have for I mean there's one in ten thousand which a sounds there's a part of it that sounds like sounds more than like more than you think yeah there's a part that's like oh that's a huge number but also yeah. like, that's a fuck that's not that big like yeah. how, how did I not know about this thing before Maggie well I think that you when you say one in ten thousand live birth live female births we Without the perspective of how many actual live b- births there are mm-hmm. in a in a year, it's hard to really put that into perspective. Right. Um, but um, one in there's three hundred fifty thousand girls around the world total. So it's that's a still that seems like a big number, but there's eight billion people in the world. Yeah. So it's a very very small number. Um, so. The so I focus on that part of your question and don't remember the rest of it. <laughs> but just like what are, what would the advice the that advice. you give to anybody? That's I mean your specific set of circumstances are very rare. But just anybody who's like trying to be an advocate, anybody who's trying to uh, help somebody who's being a caretaker who yeah. just needs to fight and, for somebody else. Yeah, and this this is also something that that I've thought about a lot um, because. Um, to me, being an advocate is uh, so many different layers. There's so many people to fight and talk to and argue with. The way that I do anything is talking about it, is share your story. Be public about your story. Because otherwise, the only people who are going to help are the people closest to you who already know the story. Who already know the story. So talk about it. When you talk about it, somebody will say you have to talk to this person. Talk to that person. You don't know why you may not know why you're talking to them. You may not know what they have to offer. But they also may tell you to talk to somebody else. And never stop following that thread. Never stop talking to the next person on that list. And if that last person doesn't have anybody to, for you to talk to, 
open up your story to more people. Find somebody else to talk to about it. When we're dealing with a rare disease like Rett syndrome, it is so important just to tell people what Rett syndrome is. Right. So that we can hope that if somebody hears this podcast, they'll donate $10. They'll, they'll subscribe to, to our YouTube channel. They'll learn about it, be interested in it. Maybe even study it when they go to school. Whatever it is. You don't know where help is going to come from. But if you hide from it, then you'll never find any of that help. Um, and you talked about it early too, and I don't know if it was before we were recording, but um, about being bold. And the bolder you are, the stronger you can be um, because you'll be bolstered by more people than you could even imagine would be there for you. Um, we've had people, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people donate to this cause, because, all small donations. We've had thousands of people watching videos who have never heard of Rett Syndrome before. We've had people from all over the world reach out to us and thank us for doing this. And we're not doing it for the thanks. We're not doing it because we will want somebody in Brazil to to email us. We're doing it because our daughter doesn't have a voice. She can't yell at anybody to help her. And so we have to. Um, so if you're dealing with a situation like this or, or similar or, or there's a disability or there's, there, there's a medical emergency, whatever it is, tell people your story and remember that whoever you're talking to is just another person too. And they have their problems and their compassion and their breaking points. And find common ground and um, never quit. Um, yeah, I think that's really good advice. <laughs> I um, I think in uh, one thing I've kind of um, this talked about a lot in doing this. Um, it's mostly come from people talking about. Um, things that are ongoing mm -hmm. uh, when I've talked to people on this podcast about depression because that's something that you know is ongoing in whatever capacity and I think that's a thing that they've all gotten they've all kind of arrived at as well just like to give a voice to something to normalize it and also allow people to understand what you're going through so that they can in doing so you're helping other people and also allowing people to know that you're in perhaps need of help yeah. yeah, I think people are so scared. Uh, and I think that it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to share a sad story. It's hard to... Because there's so much risk. It's so vulnerable to to talk about. Like, 
uh, honestly, like it hurts to share a video that nobody watches because it just feels like nobody cares. Yeah. Um. And so, like, I get that. I get that it's it's hard to talk about things because you're worried that you might not get the reaction that you want. You might get too much of a reaction. You might get too little of a reaction. You might get the opposite reaction from what you're hoping for. Um, but social media is a powerful tool and it really does allow you to find people who know what you're going through, who've been there, who've done that. And that is an incredibly useful tool whenever you're going through anything at all of finding people who have already blazed that trail. Like the reason we're close to a cure with Rett syndrome isn't because I started making videos three years ago, but it's because hundreds of thousands of women 20 years ago were willing to subject themselves to studies that there was no hope of any positive response from. You know, everybody has to take a risk if you want to actually make a difference. And um, you know, I think that if you don't think that your life is what you wanted it to be, just remember that your life's not over yet. Fuck, man. Um, I can tell just how, how great an advocate you are just by how articulate you are about these things and making something that is a very unique experience, um, very incredibly universal. And I think that's, you know, kind of what you have to do in order to galvanize people to help, yeah. to be engaged. Yeah, not everybody is going to deal with Rett syndrome, but mm -hmm. everybody knows what it's like to have a sick kid. And everybody knows what it's like uh, to have a, a loved one fade away. And not everybody knows what that's like when it's a... When it's a six-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, but when it's a six-year-old, everybody knows that it's at least worth trying to help. Uh, with anybody, it's at least worth trying to help because, I mean, humankind is a... Mankind is an incredible, incredible creature. We have done incredible things. And the idea that we could eradicate this incredibly disabling disorder um, has got to be something that that people around the world would, would can galvanize around mm -hmm. I mean I don't know what polio was like it sounds terrible not great um but we haven't cured anything really since then. Yeah. But this could be next. Have you allowed yourself um, to think about what life would will be like after Rhett? Um. No, I haven't. Because as optimistic and as positive as I am that there will be a cure in Maggie's lifetime. I don't know if that's a year or 15. Mm -hmm. 
And if it's 15, then I just don't know. I don't even know what my tomorrow is going to be like. Right. So I think that I stop kind of worrying about or getting excited about the future because I don't know if she would be able to walk tomorrow. And so I, I don't have the space to like pontificate about the future. I get it is, uh, and you asked about the philosophy of it, and honestly, like it has made me live in the present so much more than I ever could have imagined I was even capable of because I can't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to be terrible unless there's a cure, in which case it'll be great. And those are two entirely different things for me to worry about and plan for, which I just can't do. So I also can't worry about what she used to be like before all these symptoms started happening because then you just get so angry that this terrible thing exists and has taken so much from your kid. So you just go, okay, today we woke up, you had a smile on your face. I asked you what you want for breakfast. We eat, we'll go from there. Um, and uh, I think it's a very Los Angeles, Californian thing to talk about living in the moment and it doesn't mean anything. And the other thing that I have found incredible is all of the quotes and advice that you see everywhere. It's ubiquitous, right? And as a person living your life, you go, eh, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to live your life in the now. You got to be present all the time. Yeah, 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 whatever. I'll deal with that later. Um, it is incredible how much we ignore all of that advice, which is really the only thing that, that feels like actually matters, is just being there and just being present. It's incredible to me. Is that a thing that you are grateful for? Yeah. Honestly, worrying about the future uh, caused me so much more stress than worrying about today. Yeah. I just have to... Honestly, like to me right now, it not at this moment, but most days it's like, just got to make it till 7. Mm-hmm. If I make it till 7, I can coast most of the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... That's very relieving to not have to think about five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, which is always how I thought about things before this. It's like, where am I going to be in five years? And then double check. Okay, well, I said I wanted to do this. Eh, I'm not quite there. Oh, God. Well, now my deadline and, and, and life's deadline and, and where am I going to be? It's, it's exhausting. You just care about the things you care about. Love the things you love. Uh, you got one life to live. If you don't like it, change it. And that's what I'm trying to do. My life is not how I dreamed it. It's not what I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to keep trying to change it until it is. Um, well, you were successful in your 
Rod Tidwell goal, uh, but I was not. I definitely cried a bunch. Well, I mean, I may have been successful in my Rod Tidwell bit, but not so much in my Cuba Gooding Jr. from radio bit. So. Oh, no. Well, sure. I was, I was thinking more Lightning Jack. That was more Isn't that my... the same movie? Wait, isn't <laughs> Lightning Jack just the Tropic Thunder joke about radio? Uh, they're all they're all very tied in there, man. There's he Lightning Jack. He was uh, mute with uh, Paul Hogan, and it was a western. Hmm. Radio I never saw, so I can't really. I know he was on a football team and uh, mentally challenged. So you know, <laughs> he spans. He's got range. He does. Um, And guys, I mean, honestly, like I know that you don't like to talk about people who are going to be on your podcast later, but I think because it's Cuba Gooding, it's okay. So Mm -hmm. when he's on, you can bring up this episode. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, thanks for letting me talk about it all. Uh, Honestly, buddy, it's a really pleasure. Um, Yeah, man, I uh, have the most respect and. yeah, you're you're an inspiring person. You and your whole family. And I love you. Thanks. We love you too, man. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. I see evidence of you and him. Deep breaths, deep breaths. We made it through. Um Man, those are some insightful words there, AJ. Uh if your life's not what you want it to be right now, remember. It's not over yet. Good shit. Good shit that all of us uh, uh, can take and hopefully apply to whatever things, whatever uh, little uh, tumultuous things we're, we're dealing with. Um, there you go, man. That is that is AJ Tesler, the insightful and loving and courageous man, uh, and talking about his daughter. Um, if you like this, thank you for for listening to this. If you if you if you're moved by this, if you're inspired by this, if you're just a person of means. Um, Please, you know, go to, I usually don't do this, but go to Magnolia's Hope. Go to rettgive.com. It's R-E-T-T-G-I-V-E.com. And, you know, if you can leave a couple shekels there, uh, that would be uh, immensely helpful because this is a thing that is very possible. It's very, we're very capable of, of beating this thing and giving this this lovely little girl and so many other little girls across the world, you know, a brighter future. Give them back the... Uh, the faculties that so many uh, so many of us take for granted on a day-to-day basis. Um, that's it. That's all. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you so much, for AJ, for coming out and just being uh, so vulnerable and uh, uh, just inspiring on a day-to-day basis. Um, that's it, gang. Uh, other thank yous to Hayden Fongheiser for doing everything behind the scenes. You're a gem, Hayden. Also, thank you to Julie Pod and King and Flying Club for art and music. And thanks to you guys uh, just for, for coming along on this little journey. Feeling, uh, without sounding too hippy-dippy, feeling very grateful right now. Um, you guys are great. I hope you have a great week. Great, great, great. I need to get a thesaurus and get some more adjectives, don't I? Well, we'll work on that. But anyways, have a great week. Love you.